pray. Our Lord Jesus, we do want to thank you that you are uh, the one who reveals the Father to us, that we might know him as our Father. So we pray that we might learn from the Bible today what our Father is like, that uh, we may relate to him, and to do that with confidence because of your great love for us. And we pray for your Holy Spirit's help that we might understand the Bible as we study it. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, page 74. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And God said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim to you my name. The Lord said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hands two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped, and he said, If now I have found favour in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin." and take us for your inheritance. 
And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Well, that's uh, where we'll stop for the moment. Pause breath and uh, the children get to go out to their groups and we'll then carry on after they leave. And we prayed, so let's get going. Now, here's a question I want to start with. Can anyone come back after a great failure? I don't mean the little tiffs that uh, George had with his dad, two strikes me out. I mean, I want to think about a really serious way in which you let God down, you blow the, 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 the boats, and can you come back to God after you've really hit the ground hard? And if we fail... Are we always going to be failures or is there ever a hope that we might just get our lives in a way that could bring an improvement? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at today. It's not an easy question to ask in church, will God have back failures? Because it's a risky question, isn't it? In a church, people don't want to allow the fact that people will fall flat on their faces and therefore what churches tend to do is to tell people how they should not fail. But yet it is important, isn't it? Because you and I, if we're honest with ourselves, we fail. And we fail badly, all of us. Now, is there a way back when that happens? That's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at the answer from that part of the Bible we just read. And I'm going to look at two things. First, I'm going to look at no-hopers. And then I'm going to look at God's name. And you'll see the reason why as we go through. First, let's look at a bunch of no-hopers, which in this part of the Bible are all the people of God. Not some, everyone. Now, this bunch of no-hopers happens to be very, very greatly privileged. You might remember how they were astonished at the way God committed himself to this group of people, of all the people that he could have chosen, and he committed, committed himself to them, first to their ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He made a covenant that they were going to be his people. And sure enough, when they were held in, as slaves in Egypt, this God, because of that covenant, he rescued them amazingly, miraculously, got them out of Egypt. And then he got them through the Red Sea, he looked after them in a desert, every single day he fed and cared for them. And then he met them on a mountain. They actually heard God speak to them. They were massively privileged. And that's all... the the things that we've seen as we've gone through Exodus week after week after week. And then the last time God told them how special they were, he said he was going to ask them to make a special tent or a tabernacle. 
And he was going to make sure that he would be there with them and he would keep his glory in front of his people visibly every single day from then on. This was a massive, massive privileged group of people. You know, there are lots of people in the country, but actually lots of people across the world who say Britain's a great place to come and live. If only we can live in Britain. And so they do everything they can to come and live here. Well, let me tell you, wherever you are in the world, this group of people, God's people, are the most favoured group of people for anyone to belong to. And so they were treated as very, very special. They were amazingly privileged. But they were absolutely useless. They really were. Because uh, the way they uh, uh, lived, well... We saw in Exodus chapter uh, 32 uh, how they couldn't cope with an invisible God. They wanted a God that they could see. And so they made for themselves this golden calf. And they called it God. And listening to God's words, just not enough for them. He want, they wanted a God that they could see. Now God had uh, spoken to them words, really clear words, so clear that God actually said, no idols. But those commands that they got hadn't helped them. The commands came in Exodus chapter 20, and in Exodus chapter 32, they've got their idol up and running. Just goes to show, actually, that telling people not to do things doesn't work. God told these people what to do, but it didn't really change anything. The big question is, how do you change a person's heart so that that is what makes the difference? These people were very clear about the words, and yet they didn't <coughs> obey those words. In fact, as uh, Exodus chapter 32 puts it in verse 30, these people have sinned a great sin says the same thing in verse 31 of chapter 32. This people have sinned a great sin. The commandments didn't stop people sinning a great sin. And the sad result of them sinning a great sin is that they lost God. That was God. And he told them that he wasn't going to go with them anymore. He said, all right, you want your golden calf to take you into the land of plenty, a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, you can have that, but I'm not going with you. And then what Moses did was he pleaded and he pleaded. And he went in front of God and he said, God, you can't do this. You have uh, made me a very special person in your eyes. Now remember that because actually... Anything that you do for me, you've got to do for your people because your people and I were joined together. So anything you do for me, it's got to include them. And so Moses pleaded, if they loved him, if God loved him, he had to love them. And because Moses uh, pleaded in that way last week, we saw how God returned to his people and he said, all right, I will come with you. And uh, God agreed to return to his people because Moses pleaded with him. 
But at the end of God's answer, and the answer came in verse 17 of chapter 33, the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken I will do, for now you found favour in my sight. Moses, in the next verse, verse 18, where our reading began, says, God, you've got to show me your favour. In other words, God, are you really going to do this? It's all very well you're saying that you're going to come back with us and stay with us. But I want to know for sure. Moses is asking for reassurance. God, are you really, is this for real? Are you really going to come back and stay with us from now on? Because your people are very stiff-necked people. And he says that again at the end of verse 34 and verse 9. Lord, if I have found favour in your sight, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. Because these are a stiff-necked people. So, if you got fed up with them once and you were going to leave us, might you do that again? That's the kind of question that Moses has in his mind as he goes in front of God. And God's answer to Moses comes in a very, very interesting way. He goes to his no-hopers and he says, I'll tell you where your hope is going to be found. Okay? Every time you're a no-hoper, this is where you go to for your hope. I'm going to tell you my name. And his name is what God reveals in uh, verses 4 and 4 to 6. Uh, sorry, uh, of uh, 6 to 8 in Exodus chapter 34. So he's wanting the name to be revealed. So Exodus chapter 33 verse 19 uh, uh, where I will proclaim to you my name, says the Lord. And again, God is going to proclaim his name in, uh, in Exodus chapter 34. And the all-important name is there in verse 6 and 7. He's going to tell Moses what his name is. He's going to tell Moses, in other words, what he is like. And here's the important thing. Moses will not be able to see a thing. Because what he's going to do with Moses is going to put him in the cleft of a rock. And when God goes by, as if that isn't enough, he's going to cover him, he's going to put his hand over him, so Moses is not going to be able to see a single thing, albeit for health and safety reasons. Because if Moses sees anything, he will die. God has already told him that. A man who sees my uh, face will die um, but uh, it's a bit like going to a theatre in London and uh, right at the end while everybody's leaving you're, you get taken into the front into the auditorium and you get to see the safety curtain on the stage after the show is over there's not a lot to see but there is a lot to hear and that's what Moses is able to listen to most of all. It's what he hears in verse 6 that counts. And you hear the words in verse 6, brilliant words. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and who will not pardon the guilty. 
So they are very, very clear words. They are the words that every no-hoper wants to hear God say to them. It's the words that you want to hear God say to you when you have sinned a great sin. And God says, you are a no-hoper, now here's my name. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. You're a no-hoper, this is the name God has for you to know him by. And so this amazing, uh, wonderful uh, name. It's not a name that says, okay, from now on you've got to try harder. You were no-hoper once, I want you to uh, uh, start uh, getting better at that. No, he's talking about mercy and grace. He's talking about abounding in love. The story is told of a guy who was standing outside a major harbour in the world and he saw in the horizon all the different ships anchored for the night. And he said, uh, I feel so bad tonight, it's like uh, my sin is enough to fill up all those ships that are there. And a Christian friend wisely said to him, all right, you might feel that your sin is that much, you can load up all those ships with your sin. But let me tell you, God is the ocean. You can put all those ships into the ocean and there's still going to be more ocean than you will have sin. Abounding in steadfast love. That's the picture of God that you have. And it's therefore helpful for us to see, to humble ourselves and see that it's our nature to sin, but it's God's name to uh, forgive. And so when you feel that uh, you are a no-hoper, well, this is God's 57-word name that answers the way that you feel. In fact, actually in Hebrew, it's actually 32 words. 57 in English, but only 32 in Hebrew. And uh, uh, it's amazing how God (coughs) reveals his name uh, to those who fail. And that name that God revealed that day spreads like wildfire right across uh, the Bible from that moment onwards. So that when you look at the rest of the Bible and you see that the Hebrew choruses in their favorite praise songs uh, have got to do with God's name, that uh, the Lord is merciful and gracious. So if you just want to pick up one with me, uh, go to uh, uh, Psalm 103. I'll tell you the page when you get there. It's, um, It's very easy to find. It's bang in the middle of the Bible, and it's on page 502. Page 502, and you can see how in verse 8, you've got Exodus chapter 34. You've got the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. They're so excited, you see, they've got this name. And so in the middle of their praise, they say, why am I praising? Because I've got a God with a name like this. And you find the same thing in Psalm 145. It's just a few pages more. So if you want to uh, take a look, you can see 
in Psalm 145, also verse 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Whenever they want to uh, be reassured and joyful in the Old Testament, they go back to saying, this is what my God is like. No wonder I'm going to be praising him. And you see that also uh, when they're scared. Uh, Psalm 86, and the people of God are worried. And what do they do when they're worried? In Psalm 86, they go straight to the name. So while you're there in Psalms, we'll go back to Psalm, uh, Psalm 86. It's not uh, uh, difficult. Um, and there you are in verse 15. Well, the, the fear is there in verse 14. Oh God, insolent men have risen against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, but they don't set you before them. But ye, Lord, are a merciful, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Turn to me and be gracious to me. When they're scared, they want to call on that name. And uh, it's what uh, Joel, uh, I won't take you on a paper chase through the Bible, but in Joel chapter 2 verse 13, uh, that's kind of the last 12 books of the Old Testament. Um, uh, if you want to think of uh, how to find it, uh, it uh, uh, starts with uh, Hosea, head of side, Hosea, if you think of football, and then Joel plays in goal. Okay? Uh, so you've got, uh, you got the, uh, the way of uh, remembering the Old Testament uh, finale if you uh, remember football so Joel chapter 2 and where people are straying away from God you know what he says to them you bunch of no hopers that are straying away from God let me tell you God's name come back to him this is the God that he wants to be living with and it's not just God's people when Jonah remember Jonah is the prophet who went to speak to God's enemies the people in Nineveh and the thing that made Jonah grumble more than anything else is the fact that God had mercy on those people. And Jonah said, you see, that's the whole reason why I didn't want to come and tell these people that you were going to judge them because they are going to turn to you and I know what kind of God you're like. You're a God who is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and you let them off. It's the reason why Jonah was so cross in Jonah chapter uh, 4. And verses 1 and 2. So it's a wonderful name. And uh, it's what you hear God say rather than see. And it's uh, a, 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 a name that comforts God's people in all sorts of situations and circumstances. This name is the one thing that no hopers grab hold of. And because of this name... Everything that God's people had lost when they went for their golden calf, everything that they lost at that moment was returned to them. Remember they had great privileges. God had spoken to them and given them ten commandments to show that they were special people and that he would speak to them and reveal himself and his nature to them in those commandments. And remember that he gave them various feasts and said, Ah, you are going to remember my covenant by enjoying all these feasts. And then he told them how they were to revere him and live in right relationship with him. Well, when they broke their commandments, everything went to pot. 
The commandments were shattered. Moses dropped them on the ground. And they started their own feast around the golden calf. They didn't worry about God's feast. They weren't fearing God. But now everything has changed. First in Exodus chapter 34 verse 1, they get the commandments back. Take another two tablets. We're going to start again. And then when he came to the different feasts, verses 18 onwards, all those feasts are given back to them again. And so therefore you get all those different feasts had we read on, you would have seen how the different feasts of uh, um, uh, unleavened bread and so on, they're back in the diary. Once more they are the favoured people remembering the covenant. And then remember, when they got the commandments in the first place, they were treating Moses with real fear. Remember in Exodus chapter 20, when Moses came and gave them the commandments, they said, look, please, uh, don't let God speak to us, you speak to us, uh, because we really are in an amazing uh, uh, awareness of God and his greatness. And now in verse 30 of chapter 34, they're once more treating Moses with that kind of respect. And Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. So there was a a, a desire to, to have a respect and regard for Moses once again. And then... Uh, in uh, the final uh, section, um, one actually, maybe, maybe there's a, a group there for, if you go around there, Hannah will take you. It's just around the corner. Yeah. Okay. And, and then you remember how God said that he was going to kind of stay with his people in this kind of tabernacle thing and he was going to keep his glory in front of his people all the time and they had the golden calf, they said, no, we don't want God to come with us, we want the golden calf to come with us. (coughs) But now, if you read on into Exodus chapter 35, you'll see that the tabernacle project is back on, God is going to be with his people again. So everything that they lost is now brought back to them. And it's amazing that any no-hoper can have everything restored back because of this great name and the way that he brings everyone back into uh, his blessing there's just one sting in the tail isn't there I don't know if you noticed it it's in verse 7 who can tell me the contradiction that you see in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 7 we're looking on page 74 uh, of the Bible And who can tell me the contradiction that you find in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 7? Is that where God says that he will by no means clear the guilty? Yeah. This is the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Yeah, okay. So there's two things. First, God says he's going to forgive iniquity in Exodus chapter 34 verse 7 
Okay, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity. Yeah? And then we find out he's going to visit iniquity with punishment. He will visit the iniquity of the fathers and the children and their children's children. That's a contradiction, isn't it? He's going to forgive iniquity, he's going to visit iniquity. How do you put those two things together? People have been saying to me for years, Mike, you know the Bible is full of contradictions. Let me tell you, I've gone through the Bible quite a few times now and I I haven't found a single contradiction except for this one. This is the only contradiction in the Bible that there is. How can God forgive iniquity and punish iniquity? How's that going to work? That's the contradiction that uh, this passage puts in front of us. And we are going to be scratching our heads forever until we realize that the whole of the Bible, not just the new bit, but the old bit as well, is entirely there to teach us about Jesus. And Moses is there to teach us about Jesus. And you remember how in the Old Testament, Moses was not allowed to see God's glory. But when you get into the New Testament, the disciples who were with Jesus said, that's the very thing that we were able to see. So if you just uh, have a quick little glance at John chapter 1 and verse 14. And that's on page 886. John chapter 1 and verse 14, page 886. Remember, Moses couldn't see the glory of God. But now, John says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's a lot of bounce back on Exodus chapter 34. Remember, in uh, Exodus chapter 34, the Lord is described as um, uh, full, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Here John says, and that's exactly what you've got with Jesus, he is full, in other words, abounding, with grace and truth. Keeps his word. And that's how people encountered Jesus. Right through his life. No hopers on every page of the New Testament if you flick through one after the other. And what did they find? They meet Jesus, a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. They see that every single day of his life. But most of all, on the day that he died, on the cross... God simultaneously punished him for iniquity and forgave us the iniquity that we had committed. So our iniquity that we had done against God, our strikes against God, if you like, was punished. But punished by God punishing Jesus, not us. And so he is punished 
and we are forgiven and the two things happen at just the same moment the moment Jesus died on the cross and after God has punished Jesus he will forgive his people because God will not punish the same thing twice so therefore there is this amazing uh, understanding that God has resolved the contradiction he has punished iniquity and forgiven iniquity the time that Jesus died on the cross well let's think that through and how that might work for us what happens if you're here today and you are not a Christian and it's a perfectly good question to ask isn't it is there a God and if there is a God what's he like well let me tell you that it's very easy to say look I'd like to say what Moses said God show me your glory if you're there show me that you are a glorious God would you it's a very natural thing for people to say but the point is if you look at the story of Moses you will understand that you're not going to see much because all God says has been written down and therefore you won't see anything but you will be able to hear that's what happened to Moses Moses is the one who wanted to see God's glory and he wanted to hear now do you really think that God is going to treat you any differently so if you want to understand what God's glory is like then it's important that you understand and listen and find out what his name is like when you think, stop and think about it to actually say I'll only believe God if he knocks on my door and turns up that's a bit of a proud thing to say isn't it it's, it's, it's really saying look uh, I want my own private viewing of God Whereas God says, not even Moses got that. But you will have a word from me. I will speak to you. That's how you know that I'm there. And that's how you know what I'm like. Because I will tell you what my name is. Then you know what kind of God that I am. And it's helpful for us to understand that. And it takes humility to understand that because if you are going to take in God's name then it means that you are going to humbly admit that if God is a God who is slow to anger you will need the honesty to admit that you deserve his anger because if you've done nothing to make God angry in your, in your own eyes it's no big deal that God is slow to anger doesn't really matter because he's got no reason to be angry with you in the first place but if you are humble enough to acknowledge actually my life has been lived as a no-hoper that's who I am if you are able to humble yourself and to understand that is true about you then you have the name that God will bring into play and show you what is like and that will make the difference so if uh, you are um, <clears throat> someone who isn't a Christian ask God to give you the humility to really think through this name asking him to act towards you forgiving your sin 
asking him to abound with steadfast love towards you. Start talking to God in those terms because that's what his name is. And so we can talk to him in that way. What happens if you're a churchgoer and it is a risky thing, as I said at the start, in a church to talk about God forgiving sins because you think, well, shouldn't we be telling people how not to fail? Well, let me tell you, there were people around Jesus saying that. They were called Pharisees. And their constant message to people is not God loves failures. The constant message the Pharisees gave people were, you've got to try harder. And my guess is if you've been to other churches in the past, that is the message you'd have heard from the pulpit again and again and again. Look, you've got to put more effort into this. You've got to get this right. Here's the other tick box that you need to tick. But what the Bible tells us is something far more wonderful than that. It tells us, actually, you can be honest. It's okay to admit that you're a failure. It's actually okay to admit that you're a no-hoper. You can be the God like this. Because God like this has got a very special name. A name that talks about abounding in steadfast love. And that is the name that he'd want to reveal to you. Anger, yes, that is what we do deserve for the way we fail. And any person who goes to church, if they're honest with themselves, will know how much of a failure they are under the skin. Anger is what we deserve because we fail. Abounding love is what we don't deserve. And there's a God there who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. If only those of us who are part of his family were humble enough to admit that that's actually what we're really like. But it may be that you're someone who's a genuine Christian who says, actually, I don't think I've got a problem admitting that I fail. I think I can be honest with myself about that. In fact, my difficulty is the other way around. I see myself failing so much I can't ever see myself being any different. What has the Bible got to say if that's how we are? And I want to take you one last time in these closing minutes to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's on page 965. And on page 965 you get another reference to Exodus chapter 34. And uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, yes. Sorry, typo on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you have a little reference to what happened in Exodus chapter 34. Because what happened in Exodus chapter 34 is that Moses came down from the mountain. He had to put a veil on his face because it was shining so much. But you know why he had to keep the veil on? Because the shine began to fade. And he didn't want people to see that actually his face was no different to anybody else's. And so he kept the veil on to kind of keep them going. And so what... Uh, 
Paul is saying in the Apostle Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is that uh, Moses had to put a veil on his face in verse 13 so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. And the glory of trying to be in God's presence and obey him, well, that's a fading glory. The graph is going down on that one. But for anybody who really begins to understand Jesus and starts beginning to take in his life, understanding what he is like, yearning with a passion to grow to be like him in all the responses and reactions and the way we live our lives, the person who looks at Jesus in that way, well, that person is going to see the graph going the other way. So in verse 18, we with, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, now, something different is happening, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What God does is he fills people with the Holy Spirit and then bit by bit draws out of them the likeness of Jesus in the way that they live. It's a supernatural difference as God changes people to be more and more like his son. It's a spiritual difference. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When uh, Debbie came home on Thursday, asked her what sort of day she had, she said, well, I was meeting a new Muslim colleague that I hadn't worked with before, and um, I was telling her that I'd, I'd left uh, something in church and I wanted to go and get it, so she then understood that I was a Christian, and she said, I've got a question I want to ask you. It seems that whatever job I've been doing, I've been finding myself working right next to Christians all the time, and this is my one question. Why is it that you Christians are so happy? And but Debbie, I think, gave her a great answer. And I think, actually, that the answer is something like this. Anybody who understands the Lord Jesus is going to be radiating him in greater and greater ways. Now, I don't mean that uh, all Christians have got happy faces. Please don't go and try and sort of put that on as an outward thing and put the sort of cheesy smile on. Uh, Christians doing that convince no one. But the point is this, never mind the face, what people ought to be able to see in us is a changing life. A life that is changing to be like the Lord Jesus. That is the effect of the Spirit because now that is something inside us that we really want to be growing in and uh, uh, becoming uh, greater at. So we don't just simply have forgiveness. Okay, you're a no-hoper, and don't worry, the Lord is abounding in steadfast love. That's his name. In the Lord Jesus, we have more than a name. We have the opportunity of increasingly resembling his son. And that is a very practical thing. That's not just a sort of a Bible thing that people talk in church and it's somehow off the planet. This is the kind of glory that changes people so that Muslim colleagues in the office begin to notice and start asking questions. This is absolutely down-to-earth and practical.
And that is the change that God is able to bring for anybody who starts to follow the Lord Jesus and to fill their lives with the hope of being like him. But I'm going to stop there and uh, give opportunity if anyone... I said we take a minute to pray quietly. Let's uh, sum up our prayers now. Let me do that. Father, we do want to thank you for the permission you give us to be honest with ourselves that we are not high achievers spiritually, but we are no hopers. And we don't need a God who is going to be more and more demanding of us, wanting us to keep doing better and trying harder. We thank you that we need a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And we thank you that you can be a God like that because you have punished iniquity in the Lord Jesus. And so we pray, Lord, that for the rest of our lives, we may be those who don't forget this name and keep returning to this name when we have strayed and keep commending this name to others who we know who aren't Christians. We pray for your help in doing all this for the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.